If you want a concise picture of how much Bitcoin has changed the world, try this one on. At one point, a single diamond could buy a mountain of Bitcoins, and today, a single Bitcoin can buy a mountain of diamonds. It's true. But does it mean that we should be thinking about getting in now or at all? It's a poignant question the way our guests, Craig Massey and Richard Bose, the co-founders of the Satoshi Block Dojo, pose it for many reasons, environmentally, financially, and developmentally. They maintain, and it's a controversial stance, that Bitcoin and the blockchain, as Bitcoin has used it, have done nothing to help out the world of business and finance if you compare that to the way they were first envisioned. And so we're gonna let Craig and Richard give us the blockchain skinny about what Bitcoin can be and what they hope to do, developing entrepreneurs with fantastic ideas, all within a better blockchain that utilizes a new environmentally efficient and stable Bitcoin. Hear all about it on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Okay, so I'm Craig Massey. I'm the co-founder of my eighth startup called the Satoshi Block Dojo. I'm Richard Bose. I have been in blockchain since about May 2012 was when I first joined in with Bitcoin. So long time. Once you created the cash system, everything else can be built on top. So you can rebuild the internet on top of it and you can do it securely because now you've got secure methodology for sending value inside packets. And if you think about this, people often say things like, well, Ethereum is functional and Bitcoin is not functional. But there's a major problem with that. When Craig and I are talking about sending Bitcoin transactions, we're talking about sending any kind of data for thousandths of a penny at a time, and they're instant. Yeah. In Ethereum, it might cost you $400 for a transaction fee, just the fee. Now, I might want to send you £20, but there's so many people using it at the time that the fee for sending £20 is $400, but whatever. Let's say it's usually somewhere around $20, and the same on BTC. At peak times when lots of people are using the network, fees scale up because it can't handle the volume. The original Bitcoin protocol, the one that we're building on, and we're insisting on building on this, it's now called Bitcoin SV, but it's the Bitcoin from the white paper that was released in 2009. The chain started in 2009. It's the same blockchain. It can handle massive, massive volume. It can do 100,000 transactions per second at the moment. Next year, we'll hopefully scale to a million per second. Wow. And it just keeps on going. 10 million, 100 million, a billion transactions per second. Every time it goes an order of magnitude larger, the fees can scale an order of magnitude lower indefinitely. It becomes significantly more eco-friendly 
than any of the kind of Visa, MasterCard payment systems or the banks. The other vested interest community are what I call kind of the VCs. They're ones who want to keep the status quo. You know, we call it surveillance capitalism. But it's the likes of Facebook and Google who essentially ambush our data, you know, sell that to advertisers so that advertisers can then sell us things back, right? They want to keep the status quo. They don't want some guy coming in and completely disrupting their cozy little network and a system. So for 10 years, Craig Wright, he's had a torrid time of everywhere he goes, he seems to get beaten up. However, what he's also done is created a company called Enchain, which has got about 250 people in it, half of which are the smartest engineers in the world. These are the guys who have created the blockchain. You know, as Richard was saying, it's more stable, more scalable, it's eco-friendly, it's more cost-efficient, et cetera. But the other half of the company are a bunch of IP lawyers. So he's got two and a half thousand patents all around the blockchain. So this is why we've created this company where essentially we're an incubator for new tech startups who are going to be utilizing this new metanet, as they call it. But essentially, it sits on top of the internet and it just makes everything a million times better. And I think there's going to be a seismic shift in the next two years. And I'll tell you the reason why. Number one, legals. So Craig Wright has now got a whole bunch of lawsuits which are pending. He's already won his first one, which is to challenge the crypto community in terms of what they've done with his technology. So he has to then demonstrate he is Satoshi and that he does IP ownership. And then he can kind of stop all the nonsense in the kind of crazy crypto world, right? So that's the first thing. And also, he'll get a lot more credibility. You know, a lot of corporates will go, oh, okay, we hadn't realized there's a clean Bitcoin and a dirty Bitcoin, right? The second area are the patents. So our CTO who's a PhD from Cambridge, who has been heavily involved in blockchain. He's president of the Blockchain Society and the Metanet Society. He started out with Ethereum. So he understands Ethereum back to front. Now, he was approached by a corporate, quite a big corporate, three weeks ago. And essentially, the corporate had come to the realization that what is the point in spending 4 million quid on creating a blockchain where actually we have to then license you know, that through Enchain. Why not just get it directly from Enchain? It's like saying, oh, well, you know, I refuse to pay Microsoft's license fees. Well, I'm going to create it myself. No, you're not. You know, it's the same with Intel or, you know, JavaScript. I mean, companies utilize the best in class tech and they license it. So that's what we believe is going to happen with Enchain and the blockchain. Just like the internet, there were six internets. Now there's only one. Same with blockchain. There's a ton of blockchains, but we believe there's only going to be one public blockchain, and we believe that's going to be BSV. So patents is number two. And the third and the final area, I think, is banks. We've talked about it before, but you know, the banks, once they kind of switch on and once they realize, and once it becomes easy, we have this stable coin, I think that will be the tipping point. It's a bit like contactless card payments, right? That was very, very slow uptake until TFL, the tube in London, started using contactless, and then that's it. The contactless card exploded, but largely because of one massive user like TFL. That's what we need. And that's what I think is going to happen in the next couple of years. Wow. So is it a good time to sell all your Bitcoin? Is this question. 
<laughs> well, put it this way, dumbass. You've seen the big short, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard it here first. Wow. It is literally built, I like to say it's built on less substance than a multi-pack of meringues from Asda. And how they've built a $1.6 trillion industry, it defies belief. One thing that is important to note and understand, and what we're looking at quite closely at the moment, is the difference in efficiency. In efficiency terms, Bitcoin SV is efficient, and BTC is not efficient, and it's binary, and it dies as a consequence of just trying to soak up all the energy in the planet in order to fund this Ponzi scheme. It doesn't have any utility. It doesn't carry any data. And it's not more secure because it's got more hash as well, which is kind of a technical point. But the point is that BTC is very, very large and it's sucking up a lot of energy and doing fuck all for anyone, except for the very small amount of people who are riding the train. And of course, it's a zero sum game for everyone who wins There's 100 people or 1000 people who lose. So BSV, by comparison, is very, very, very efficient. And when I say very efficient, what I mean is they're processing one megabyte blocks. We've just processed a 2,000 megabyte block, and there's no scale limit. So we'll go to 4,000 next. We'll go to four gigabytes, and we'll go to eight gigabytes. Eventually, we'll have terabyte blocks. Wow. So if you imagine what actually you can do with a terabyte block, you're not just putting Bitcoin transactions in there. That's all they're doing with their one megabyte blocks. In a terabyte block or gigabyte block or whatever, you're putting bank-issued money, which means you're cutting out costly, wasteful banking and infrastructure and server architecture, right? The idea is to centralize all of the central banks onto one backend, one decentralized network. So it's massively energy efficient. This is world-saving technology. I'm not overplaying my hand here. This is really, really efficient ecological technology, and it has the benefit of killing BTC. Seems to me, Richard, what you're saying, right, mm. is that this isn't just kind of killing BTC, but this means that banks have to reinvent themselves fundamentally. Well, I think the thing is that challenger banks will be the first to basically hop on this. Right. But I mean, central banks do need to issue their digital currency in order for that vision to work, in order for it to be super green. Right. Mm. So this uh, is a platform for other currencies, other CBDCs? Yeah. Mm. Anything. You can build your own currencies on it. You can do anything that anyone's doing on Ethereum right now. Stocks, shares, derivatives, equities, the works. Any kind of data can be done on this. The point I think Dharmesh is making, I think this plays well to like the developing world because there's an awful lot of people that don't have bank accounts and yet would benefit from doing a kind of a peer-to-peer. -peer Absolutely. I mean, one of the guys in our team is the ex-CEO of Techstars, a guy called Max Kelly. He was a UK CEO for three years, and then he became their global strategy guy, right? So he's part of our team. So we kind of understand the good and the bad things about Techstars. They're very successful, but we're essentially copying that model. So we're going to open up in different cities. Dubai looks like our first port of call next year, but then Africa, we're looking at which country in Africa, because can you imagine once the whole thing opens up in terms of the peer-to-peer microtransactions, then it's not likely to be Western countries that grab that. It's probably going to be the more developing countries. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got lots of entrepreneurs, they are going to come up with tons of different ideas that we don't even know about. We've not even thought it through. It's interesting because I think what Darmish and I have learned as we talk to these people in places like Africa and Vietnam, 
what people are looking for is to solve real problems, you know, so it's how do we take people, the unbanked, and make them bank. So there's real things that they're trying to solve instead of in the West. What we're trying to do is how do we make onboarding a bit quicker? Now, you're not going to live and die based on how fast onboarding is, but you may live or die based on your access to finance. So I think that's such a trigger for kind of innovation. And then what we're seeing is you've got lots of younger people as well. And these younger people are just educated, the brimming full of ideas. I would say that, yeah, definitely. I mean, Africa would be a fantastically interesting place. See, one of the things we do, well, certainly in the UK, I mean, it clearly will adapt every country that we go to. And we've got a really good guy who's going to go out and understand each market before we can land there. But in the UK, you imagine of all the companies I started and sold, my very first one, I ended up selling for a brand new Golf GTI, which is completely random. And whether it was some sort of tax dodge, I don't know. But but bear in mind that I'd spent 49 grand of my own savings and I'd worked like a dog for two years, literally seven days a week, 15 hours a day. And that's a terrible return on investment. So it's one of those things I wish I knew then what I know now, because then I would have avoided a million mistakes and I would have got properly funded. And actually, that was a sweet little company. And had I had the right finance in place, it could have really done something. So what I want to do with the dojo is pull together a team of people. We've got a fantastic team, do an unbelievably 12-week intensive kind of training program. But the key thing is we will actually take care, unlike all these other kind of accelerators, incubators, we get our hands dirty. We actually take responsibility for everything from the legals, the accountancy, their website, their marketing, their pitch deck, their exec summary, their UX. And in fact, we even go and find them a real world R&D partner, right? And again, we're on the hook to do that. The reason being is with your keys, my last company, as soon as we got one house builder who said, oh, I really like this idea, our growth accelerated dramatically. We were making stuff on the expectation that they would like it instead of actually asking the client what they wanted. So if we'd only done that sooner, we'd have been probably out in three years instead of four years. So if I can kind of replicate that for these guys, all I want them to do is then focus on the solution and iterate really quickly. Because one of the things we take responsibility for is getting them funded for their first three rounds of funding. They walk into the dojo, they get 10,000 quid. Now that's so that they can pay their rent at home and you know they're not gonna panic. At the end of 12 weeks, if they pass muster and they've got some prototype or some MVP, they then get 140 grand together with our business angel partners. And that has to last them about 12 to 15 months. And at the end of that process, obviously they've got various milestones during those 12 months. And then at that point, they come back and get their proper seed round, which is anywhere usually between about one and a half to two million pounds, right? And again, we take responsibility for that. So bear in mind that 90% of all startups fail, then any kind of smart entrepreneur or any kind of smart techie realizes that actually the more help you get, the better. And if you have to bleed a little bit of equity, so what? Because, you know, a smaller piece of a bigger pie is a bigger pie, right? So that's our mission. And, you know, 250 companies just in the UK, but then you then to open that out into Dubai and Africa and Asia, it starts to look 
And we're going to be busy, put it that way. I mean, it's a fantastic idea. But I mean, all of these businesses will then be building on the blockchain. Effectively, you're looking for the use cases. I wanted to loop back to Dharmesh's point about we want banks to adopt BSV. It's not quite correct. If a bank issues their CBDC on their own blockchain, then it can travel across any blockchain. And that's sort of the point of a blockchain is it's just a public regulated environment that cash can travel in. So as soon as a central bank issues a digital cash version, CBDC, it will start traveling over every public blockchain. And then it becomes a race. Which blockchain can transact the most at the cheapest rate? Which can do the most volume for the lowest amount of money? And that's the one that wins. And which one scales into a regulated model? So there's a system. If you're a bank and you have a million dollars hacked from you and stolen, the crypto industry would have you believe that it's an uncensorable network and transactions can't be reversed. It's nonsense. The way this is designed is proof of work creates large de-anonymized nodes. And that means that if it costs £100,000 to get a court to issue a recovery order and you've had a million pounds stolen from you as a bank, you get £900,000 back. So it doesn't work with small transactions. If you lose £5 digital cash or it gets stolen off you, you're not getting it back. But if it's a large amount, there's a recovery process. I think this whole topic is deeply fascinating and my brain is about to explode with ideas. So thank you for sharing all of that. If anyone wants to find out more about A, what you're doing, and B, about this new Bitcoin, the BSV. Where do they go? We've got a big launch event because it's the Satoshi Block Dojo. It's completely Japanese-themed, and and we've had 287 responses for a place that can hold about 170. So we're slightly squeaky bum time in case too many people turn up. In fact, we've had to hire a penthouse opposite for an overflow just in case, but... We've got the film crew in there filming all the presentations. Obviously, we've got Craig Wright, who's our guest speaker, a.k.a. Satoshi Nakamoto. So that will be on YouTube. Essentially, we're raising two million quid. We're giving away 30% equity. The interesting thing about this business is not only do you get shares in the dojo, but you literally get shares in every single startup that goes through the dojo. And out of 250 in this brave new world. We're quite confident that there will be some high flyers amongst that when this whole thing kind of breaks. And then we're closing the round by September. And the way to get in touch with us, the website is blockdojo.io. There's an application form there under apply. We give you all the details of the offer. So if you come to the website, you have a look at all the things that we're offering. It's 10 grand cash for 12 weeks training. We give you an R&D partner. We do all your paperwork for you. We provide lots and lots of help and technical support, stuff like that. The application form is there. Just fill out the application form with your idea. And then we've got a team. We'll review it. If you want to get in touch with us directly, I'm Richard at blockdojo.io and Craig is Craig at blockdojo.io. And you can send us an email directly. We like to see executive summaries. If you've got an idea and you want us to take you seriously, please send us a proper executive summary with an overview of the idea. We're doing three cohorts a year, and our first cohort starts from the 1st of October. So they haven't got long to wait. If they make an application, thus far, I think we've had 
There's about 12 or 14 applications and two yeah. are really strong. We're looking for a minimum of probably five or six in our first cohort, or more if we get good applications. So yeah, you know, you could be part of the very first cohort. We're on Twitter at blockdojo.io, various social media as well to reach out, Instagram and Twitch and stuff like that. So we're pushing out more and more. Let's get some prop tech applications. Yeah, absolutely. Come on, Dom, pull your finger (laughs) out. We are looking for any applications that utilise money. And the thing about this is this opens an enormous new market. We've never seen a market that starts at a penny and goes down. That's the thing. We don't know how large the market for micropayments is. But if you think about all of the data that we're sending every single day, if you could monetize that and then you could monetize the computation and open a market for computation where other people get paid for contributing their computer power, this thing is huge. It's vast and it's completely untapped. We don't know what the entrepreneurs will look like. We don't know what the businesses will look like. To Dom's point, this will impact the banks significantly because the banks run on transactions they make money out of transactions i mean i've just looked at some research which was done with some young people as well so you know there's a gen z research which shows they're very suspicious of credit cards they want more control over their money you know the idea of peer-to-peer to them i think that would be music to their ears there's a lot of young entrepreneurs in the sort of 16 to 24 year olds I mean, just some of the behaviours they're exhibiting will have such a dramatic impact on the banks further down the line. Can you imagine people who are sort of credit averse going into the system? So all of these things kind of lining up show that the banks have to respond. How they do that, I don't know. But I mean, they really need to start watching people like yourselves. I would say, though, that banks are competitive. There's the idea here that, you know, they want to stave the flood for as long as possible and they don't want to innovate and they want to capture their market and you know they're incumbents they want to protect their profits but here's the thing they're all decentralized as well they're out fighting each other to get the biggest profits too you open a market for micropayments where you're cutting transaction fees down from 30p to a ten thousandth of a penny i mean i'm frankly surprised that they're not falling over themselves trying to get to this opportunity trying to outbid each other and trying to drive transaction fees down and the only explanation that I can come up with is that they're a cartel. Yeah. <laughs> the big banks are a cartel, obviously. But somebody always breaks a cartel, right? Why? Because they're small. They're not making as much profit as the big guys. And they go, fuck you. I'm not out of your cartel. I can make loads of money if I just jump into this micropayments market. So I think it's a matter of time. You're absolutely spot on. And this conversation go on for several hours and it is deeply <laughs> fascinating. But I would like to thank you on behalf of David, myself, and also the listeners for coming on to the show and sharing your unabated views on this. It is deeply fascinating. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next few years. I really do believe that technology is fundamentally going to change the planet and hopefully in a good way. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting us on anyway. Appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Perfect. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dom Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Dom Demystify show is a production of NMD+, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.